0: Hello and welcome to 10x9, 9, where nine people have up to ten minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. I'm Paul Doran, and this is the 10 by 9 podcast. We had our March event at our home venue, the Black Box in Belfast, on the 28th of the month, a Tuesday, which is practically unheard of. We love our Wednesday gatherings. But it was a full house and we had seven first timers, which was fantastic. Three of them are on this podcast for you. The theme was good, the stories
1: were great. And then a weekend, I got tendinitis in my Achilles. No amount of ibuprofen gel or ice packs or stretching was helping it.
2: He had many four legged friends there. There was even a girlfriend or two among these acquaintances. Benji, as a was a bit of a rogue, a gentle rogue.
3: If they heard me, they didn't acknowledge it, embarrassed a bit my tongue and wondered if there was room in the coffin to say Billy. Get ready
0: for a disappointment on the Camino, a love affair with a dog called Benji, and the young man who paid it forward and got more than he imagined. So, let's get started, and remember, they're all first-timers. First up, is Hazel Norton.
1: At the age of 16, I had one of the most important classes of my life in that it was cancelled. The teacher didn't show up, so we got Miss Walsh instead, or Dr. Walsh, if you were so inclined, which all the drama kids were because she was fabulous and funny and she had a doctorate in English. In an attempt to entertain, she showed us some pictures from her recent trip, El Camino de Santiago, a pilgrimage over the north of Spain. She spoke of violin carrying Spaniards and giving away possessions joyously. I was hooked. This was the answer to a question I didn't know I had, and I held that close to my chest all through my teens. I never found the time or the money to go until I was out of college for a few years. I saved up, I planned, I bought every bit and bob you could imagine, and I set off. Much to my poor mother's distress, I went alone. Of course, I met two Irish girls my first night, and then two Americans. We were a happy bunch. I was really doing it. I was living my teenage dream, not the Katy Perry one. And then a week in, I got tendinitis in my Achilles. No amount of ibuprofen gel or ice packs or stretching was helping it. So when I got to LaGroño, I called it. I was devastated. I headed to the nearest city that had a fa- flight back home. The airport I ended up in was tiny, open specifically for our flight, as in, they turned on the lights as we walked in. <laughs> That's how you know you're flying Ryanair. (laughs) I messaged my friend, Steph, while I waited to board, and she mentioned a festival she was going to the following month. All the money I was meant to use on the month in Spain burned a hole in my pocket, so I did what every sane 22-year-old would do, and I bought a ticket. In the meantime, I found myself in the orbit of a friend of a friend, a very tall, kind man who happened to be going to the festival as well. After only one day, we decided we'd share a tent. Why not? It'd be a laugh. Or not. A week before the festival, our mutual friend Danny broke up with her boyfriend and was unfortunately without a tent, but I had one. So I offered to share with her instead. And in that tent, I found a kindred spirit. She wasn't afraid to talk honestly about spirit guides and meditation and strange dreams. Over the next few months, we were inseparable. We read tarot cards and drank sangria like it was going out of style. That autumn, she moved to Canada, as all young Irish people tend to do. I had been planning to go as well with two friends from college. I worked a hard waitressing job and saved every single penny I got. I got paid in cash and would rush up to the credit union on my break, excited to be just a little bit closer to getting out. Then my friends dropped out. Life had other plans. I was on my own. I had no idea where in Canada I would go, but I knew I was going. I would sometimes just open Google Maps and zoom in on different different places trying to figure out where I would go. Danny came home that Christmas and in a smoking area of the George, told me about Yashodra Ashram. So she, she suggested going there for the one month program. It would be a good place for me to land and a great way to meet new people. I thought, why not? So the May of the following year, that's where I was headed. I got on a flight from Vancouver to Gasolgar. The lady sitting next to me informed me only the best pli- pilots got that route, which was not encouraging giving it was my first time on a propeller plane. I sat outside yet another tiny airport and waited for the people I was meant to be carpooling with. Sarah, a girl who would later become one of my dearest friends, sat on the other side of a bench with a huge suitcase that she would have definitely been able to fit inside. Morgan, our ride, and another soon-to-be friend pulled up and we drove towards the ashram. We stayed strangely silent as we took in the gorgeous views, big mountains, a deep blue glacier-fed lake, clear skies. It took over an hour's drive and a ferry ride to get to where we were going. When we finally arrived, it looked unreal. Everything was in bloom, butterflies and honeybees abounded. Danny ran forward to greet me at reception, We got a brief tour of the main building, and then we were given our cabin. Sarah, Kip, and I had the place to ourselves. We bonded immediately, deciding to jump into the still-freezing lake to christen our arrival. I couldn't believe I'd gotten so lucky. During our first class, they asked us two questions. Who are you, and what makes your life worth living? So, getting straight to it. After a week of being there, I decided I wanted to stay another month. One month became two, and suddenly it was August. I decided I was leaving in September. The raspberries were ready to be picked, and the ashram was full of past students, participants of something called the YDC, Yoga Development Course. It was the 50th anniversary of its beginning. One evening, a group from each decade of the course got up and spoke about their experience, and with each person, my resolve grew. Once they were all finished speaking, I turned to Danny and said, I think I'm going to do the YDC. The following January I began. It was intense, spiritually rigorous stuff. Each day we woke up not knowing what we were going to do. Could be a day of meditation, or hatha, or brat Natyam dancing, or shoveling snow. You can learn a lot about yourself by shoveling snow. It was tough, but the course gave me the thing I think I'd been looking for when I decided to do the Camino all those years ago. It may sound deeply cliche, but it gave me myself, gave me back myself. If I hadn't done that course, I wouldn't have had the bravery to be standing before you tonight. I wouldn't have believed in myself enough to go back to college to study creative writing. I wouldn't have met all these incredible people I now call friends, and I probably wouldn't have the balls to be out as bi or non-binary. Things aren't all good though. Moving up here was anything but smooth sailing. It pushed me to my limit at times, Even though everything is far from perfect right now and I'm really struggling some some days to see the good in it, I know that it's there, and I know that I'm exactly where I need to be. I know that one day I'll look back at the crappy hard parts and I'll see the good in that too. So the next time you get tendinitis or break up with your boyfriend or have to plan moving to a new country all by yourself, maybe it'll lead to something good. Maybe it won't, but you won't know unless you keep going and find out.
0: Hazel, thank you so much, and it was lovely to see your supportive college colleagues. See you all soon, I hope. And if you would like to follow in Hazel's storytelling footsteps, then get in touch at 10 9com Or contact us through our social media channels, that's the usual places, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Okay, on to our next story, and there's a story behind this story. I got a message from Marie Guillot, a French woman who's been living in Ireland for many years. She had told a story at 10 9 in 2022 and now wanted to bring two more friends with her all the way from Cork, which is about as far away from Belfast as you can get and still be in Ireland. It was such an honour to have them there. Here's one of their stories and it comes from Geraldine Healy.
2: One of my best friends and I never exchanged a single word
0: in our long friendship.
2: On one winter's night, close to Christmas 1986, I visited my aunt and cousins in Cork City, and there he was before me. He bounded over to me, and I was smitten, hook, line, and sinker, as they say, for life. The friendship was there from the first meeting. As it were. Who am I talking about but my auntie's dog? His name was Benji. He was a lassie type collie with red, golden, and white hair and had a noble head. Truly, he was the king among dogs. Large as his physique was, his heart was as big, and he gave that affection to us all. He provided many a laugh during his long life of nearly 15 years. He was not their first dog, a canine character he stands out for me as the best loved. I was in my early thirties at the time and spent quite a lot of time with my relatives on the hill. My cousins had a a rather perfect couch at one time, a lovely city with large white herrings or some such words as a background on the design of the couch covering. Benji knew that he was not supposed to be reclining on it, but sometimes one came upon him, sitting on the couch with a certain look in his face, which said, ha ha, I'm having a bit of crack, and staring directly at the television as if he was about to change the channel. We would call out to him to get down, and he would oblige, but he had had his fun. A gentle creature, he was much loved by us all for many years. times were his favourite. times could be any time. And <laughs> do- dognuts with beefy chunks with rich gravy kept him a happy dog. He loved to treat from the table at times. This was somewhat forbidden. Like all dogs, he had a certain expression on his face, which often shamed me into giving him a little something. No chocolate at any time, for we looked out for his health. One of his great delights, like all dogs, was to be taken for a walk. My relatives were very good to him, so he got taken out often twice or three times a day for his well-being. He seemed to have his own internal clock that told him when it was time for his outing. At lunchtime we would be all eating our food and chatting and out of nowhere would come back from Benji. Just one or two barks at first, but he knew and I knew there would be no cessation of this canine request for a walk until I got up and reached his lead. Every few days I visited their home, living downtown in a flat myself. It was not possible for me to have a pet of my own. I enjoyed those walks nearly as much as he did. My aunt used to say that he loved the people who took him out for a walk almost as much as the people that fed him. Rain, hail, or snow, he was taken out. Sometimes silly, hesitated on the doorstep as if to say, Who are you calling? I'm not going out in that weather. As I say, he was a very bright dog. He would also enjoy a good chase. Cats slipped away discreetly when he appeared on the street. He didn't like modern technology very much. Mordechai has fascinated him, although he didn't quite enjoy his encounters with these speedy moving objects. But when inside one of them, he would sit bald upright as if he knew exactly where he was going. Nearby my aunt's house, there was a wilderness of trees, paths, and dales, with a stream running through it. I used to do three rounds of it, as Benji enjoyed it so much. He had many four-legged friends there. There was even a girlfriend or two among these acquaintances. (laughs) What larks? Benji, as I say, was a bit of a rogue, a gentle rogue. Uphill there was a large green area and was a tonic for myself to visit with Benji. Fresh air and inner city environment. The view of the city on all sides was magnificent. It was much loved by the locals and I'd say by their pets too. Lifelong friendships could be found there between strollers, especially the dogs who recognised one another on sight. One day Benji, who loved it, a bit of fun, descended on what looked to him a strange man who was jogging around the field. He tried to chase the gentleman with gusto all the way up. The man did not take kindly to of having such a large animal barking at his ankles. <laughs> I needed all my energy to call back Benji and regain control. Time for a sense of humour. Thankfully, Benji left off his antics after a few minutes I made profuse apologies from myself. As the great bard of Avon, William Shakespeare wrote, all's well that ends well. The stranger ran off to continue his jog. Benji had had his fun. He didn't mean any harm at all. It was just his way. On the beach, he loved the freedom to run about. Cork City is near seven beaches. One of these beaches is only fourteen miles away, and we often visited these lovely strands. My cousins had a car, and we all piled into it. And In true sheepdog form, he seemed to round us up while walking. If anyone strayed behind a bit, it was part of his instinct, it seems to me. At times, he was a good watcher, and uh, we we slept sound, knowing our fatal homes was there to any any intruder year after year these trips a few times a week were part of my life it was great exercise and a carefree walk with benji was one of life's pleasures he was such a good natured dog even when adversity struck him and he needed a trip to the vet he was always quiet and no trouble there are photographs of him when he suffered an illness and he had to have a big blue plastic cone shaped bucket around his neck for days last poor creatures can't understand that such a situation is only temporary I felt sorry for my pal but in a few days he was well again and ready for his daily outing after many years he showed signs of failing a little he hadn't the same pep in his step time had caught up with him one day I headed from my aunt's house after work. I was working in a nearby secondary school and he wasn't there. He'd not returned from the vet. Only his full ball and collar remained. All dog I was in a fear this day with a sense of dread. It was sad, but we knew that this would come eventually. I will never forget my gentle canine friend He was truly one of God's special creatures. Over the years, Benji gave me companionship and affection, a loyal friend, a true keeper of secrets, a gift. I now remember him on a cold winter's day, stretched out before a blazing fire like a large furry rug giving us all a sense of restfulness on a summer's evening. He also loved to chase the ball up and down the field, along with his coddy friend, Bino. Have fun with the ball in the Elysian feeds, my friend. His memory still gives me joy, comfort and happiness. Today in Bedfast, I'm getting unexpected pleasure and further emotion from sharing Benji's life with this audience. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much Geraldine. You had the audience in the palm of your hand and they loved you. It really was wonderful to have you tell your story. I hope someday I can return the compliment and bring 10x9 to you in Cork. As I'm sure you know, 10x9 is always free and always will be, but if you want to help with some of our costs you can make a donation via Patreon or PayPal but as always, it's more important to us that you sit back, relax and enjoy. Okay, on to our third and final story this week. Our third first timer on this podcast. Here's Stephen McGee.
3: Saturday the 21st of April nineteen eighty, was a good day for me. It was not so good for poor Billy Murphy though. How am I so sure? Because sadly we buried him that day. Here's what happened. I was 24 in 1980 and just starting out my relationship with my future wife, Sharon. Billy was her maternal grandfather. He was a shoemaker who was widowed twice, but lived happily in Beachmount Parade to the ripe old age of 84. I'd met him a few times and heard stories of Sharon calling with him for soup and ham bap lunches whilst the schoolgirls in Dominic's. Latterly, she had regularly visited him in Nazareth Lodge and even taken him out for runs up the coast in our wee blue mini metro. She was very fond of him. Anyway, back to me. This yarn starts the night before the funeral in Queen's Students' Union. We hung out there a lot, even after graduation, S- seduced by cheap drink and decent music. My lifetime friend, Bo, we're, we're related through alcohol, Settled <laughs> up to me and inquired as to Billy's funeral arrangements. Saturday morning, 11 o'clock at St Paul's, I told him. Goody said, I've a tip for a horse in the Scottish National at four o'clock. We can watch it at yours. Now, Bo was neither a punter nor a tipster, but had been given this tip by a porter in the Royal Hospital where he worked at the time. I, however, am from a long line of small time punters, weekend warriors. My dad loved the wee bet and the GGs, amongst other things. My brothers and I were reared on Sunday- Saturday morning danders to the bookies with him while my mum made the lunchtime fry. And can still taste those fries. Heavy on the white cap lard, perfect hangover cure. Fun times. When I say fun, I'm not referring to my dad's attitude when Dickie Davis, R.A.P., handed over to the racing and the horses came under starter's orders. His happy-go-lucky demeanour would slip once Lester or Willie or Pat had somehow managed to get his horse beat as he saw it. He had a hate-hate relationship with those bastard bookies. <laughs> Small bets or not. My childhood memories are punctuated by his occasional wins. Names like Ativo, Dahlia, Shergar, or nostalgia touchstones for me and my siblings. When Red rum, who he didn't back, famously beat Crisp, who he did, in the 1973 Grand National, my mum declared three days of mourning. He was that type of character. Back to the union. Bo elaborated. Four tricks, it's called. Apparently it's a good thing. It's locally owned, it's been laid out for the race. Heretically cynical, I sighed inwardly. A few naive, non-punting mates, however, carried away on a tidal wave of cheap cider, reached for their pockets saying, stick a few quid on for me. I borrowed a pen from behind the bar and took notes. I woke early the next morning so I'd get the McGrawlins boogies to place the multiple bets i had been given at the early odds, a tantalising 40 to 1. Back at the house, over the artery-clogging fry, I tipped my dad the horse, more to follow in that one, I have a funeral to get to i have been seeing Sharon for a while, but having been friends for years, we were serious from the get-go. I was, though, largely unknown to the family. The era of cool parenting was a way off yet, and you only got to know the waiter family circle when you really had to back then, sometimes even at your own wedding. <laughs> As we gathered at Billy's house to walk to the church, I was very aware of being an outsider. It was the whispered, Who's he? they <laughs> give it away. I recall hearing I was... Sharon's boy. As I stood self-consciously with the man at the hearse, my allergy to awkward silences kicked in, and I heard myself saying to no one in particular, I know this is inappropriate, but I have a tip for a horse today if you're interested. <laughs> Emboldened by no response, I laid my of punting expertise in the mourners. Four tricks, four o'clock, 40 to one. Get on it. If they heard me, they didn't acknowledge it. Embarrassed, they bit my tongue and wondered if there's room in the coffin beside Billy. <laughs> Fast forward to three o'clock, me, Bo, my older punting brother Mark, and my dad gathered to watch the race. Optimistic to a fault, my dad, on seeing the horses in the parade ring, said, "It's grey. Should they never win?" UG being the gift that keeps giving, I watched the race recently. There were 28 runners over four miles with 27 fences, three laps of the course. A dank, misty day. The race lasts nine minutes. Four tricks doesn't bother the commentator for the first three of them. And even then, it's only a good it was taking part. At the halfway mark is a full fence behind the leader. At least he's still on his feet, I offer if I want to something to say. My dad laughs. It'll have to cut across the car park to have a chance. <laughs> Anybody want my docket? As the horses enter the last lap, our horse, while still near the rear, is noticeably closer to the leaders. With five fences to jump, the long-time leader falls. Four Tricks is now seventh. The commentator notes, Four Tricks is travelling well." More pertinently, my dad leans forward and remarks, "This horse is a wee chance, fellas." <laughs> we stand up. I imagine you know where this is going now. As the ho- At the home turn, Four tricks ominously ambles into the leading group. Hope, as you know, carries a knife and enters our living room, room, wielding said knife, as the commentator says, Four tricks is put in a devastating run and takes the lead with three to jump. My dad is now rocking back and forth in his chair. <laughs> My brother is whipping an imaginary horse with an imaginary whip. Bo flees the scene like a mom with urgent business elsewhere. (laughs) Heart pounding, I adopt a position where I can both watch the race and relay progress to him as he sucks the daylights out out of an embassy regal at our back door, (laughs) afraid to watch. Such is the noise as four tricks flies the second last, the neighbours bang the wall. My dad is dark purple. (laughs) Bo appears to be having a minor heart attack. My brother, now exhausted, changes his whip hand. (laughs) One fence to jump. One large fence to jump. My dad is standing in front of the TV, urging four tricks home. Go on, go on, big jump. Approaching the fence, the commentator says he's clear by 10 to 12 lengths. As if hearing this, the jockey... Casually looks over his shoulder at the toiling also runs. This does not impress my dad. <laughs> he politely instructs the jockey to focus on the matter in hand. <laughs> he wisely obliges. The commentator observes, four tricks takes the last of fresh horse as he lands safely. He canters up the hill and wins by 15 lengths. <laughs> well, As we scream and hug and punch the air, roaring out our good luck, Mr. McCourt from next door is now at the front window wondering, Is everything okay? (laughs) As the dust settles, my dad walking in circles advises, Enjoy this, boys. It'll never happen again. (laughs) Spoiler alert, he was right. (laughs) We race to the boogies and form an orderly queue at the payout window. As the years go by, the winnings increase, but suffice to say that we left that day with high hundreds in winnings. Pints were thirty in 1990, according to Google. You can imagine our Saturday night. <laughs> it started with our bemused friends, unaware that the horse they couldn't remember backing had won a race they didn't know existed, being handed back money they couldn't remember giving. <laughs> in multiples of 40. One inquired, Why don't we do this every Saturday? (laughs) My dad wasn't available for comment. 14 of us went to Bleakers on the Maloom Road and celebrated with deep-fried nonsense, cocktails, and champagne. The owner, suspecting a runner, wisely positioned himself between us and the door. (laughs) To add to this confusion, we tipped heavily on leaving. The really good bit of this for me, though, came the following weekend when I called for Sharon her dad motioned me into the front room where he ceremoniously took, took a £20 from his wallet and told me to buy a few drinks confused I asked what this was all about unbeknownst to me the mourners had retired to the local pub after the burial <laughs> pints were had and when the racing started one ways guy suggested sticking the kitty on that horse Sharon's up tipped once word got around that some clued in well informed tipster <laughs> had a sure thing running the whole bar lumped on Apparently the in-house bookie ran out of money and had to call head office for more. A legend was born. So 21st of April 1980 was a good day indeed. Sure, I'm still down now, 33 years later. Thanks.
0: What a bit of luck for you all, Stephen. Thank you so much. We love it when the bookies take a hit. And that is it for this podcast. Check out all the 10x9 dates on our website 10x9.com including some special events and keep in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Maybe think about giving the podcast a review or rating at a podcast app. It's very helpful if you can. And tell as many people as you can about 10x9 and the 10x9 podcast. I just wanted to say a big hello to Joanne Stainsby who I met at a friend's house this week and is a regular listener. Spread the word, Joanne. Thanks to all the people who make 10 by 9 happen, Padraig who makes the brilliant posters, Chris and Cara who look after sound and visuals, the wonderful people of the Black Box, the amazing, warm and generous audience of course, and all our storytellers, but especially Hazel Naughton, Geraldine Healy and Stephen McGee. I'm Paul Dorn and I'll be back with another podcast soon. But for now, bye bye.